Hello, everyone. This is Heidi Trost, and this is the second episode of Human-Centered Security. Today, I have with me Jim Nelson. Jim, uh, he's been working in security for the last 17 years. He's the senior security consultant for Innovative Solutions. He does security assessments and remediation for compliance for several companies based in the U.S., um, he's been, like I said, in the, the security sector for the past 17 years, really uh, enjoys working with a variety of different companies. I've looked at your bio, Jim, and it looks like, you know, you've kind of crossed every different sector in every <laughs> different industry. So that's really exciting. So without further ado, you know, I would love for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself in your own words. Oh, sure. And thanks for having me on, Heidi. Well, um, I guess I'll just start out that I'm a, a United States Marine Corps veteran. Uh, and I have been working in information security for the better part of the last 17 years, doing a lot of consulting across healthcare, banking, finance, enterprise, not-for-profit, uh, small, medium businesses. Um, and information security is just really something that back then I kind of fell into and I got really immersed in. It was just very interesting to me, uh, the human behavior of it and just trying to help businesses set up what makes sense for, you know, their risk profile, if you will. So. Yeah. And I, I think I knew this before, but I just was reminded of it. I was, I was looking at your bio, the, that you were in the United States Marine Corps. How, how did that influence or play a role in, in your, in security? Um, you know, it was a completely different type of security. So I'm not sure how much it influenced uh, me getting into information security. But, um, you know, I would just say the the discipline of being in the Marine Corps and that camaraderie, you know, really just kind of just flowed over to my professional life, you know, and it's things, you know, trying to set clear objectives and goals for myself and, um, you know, having, you know, that's more of the, the physical security side, or at least what I did in the Marine Corps. Um, so it doesn't necessarily translate one for one, but, you know, a lot of just the basic principles of, you know, life were, were, were things I learned very early in, in the military is, you know, I joined, I think I left for boot camp about a week and a half after I graduated high school. So it was kind of, uh, you know, right, right in the, uh, fire, so to speak. Yeah. Well, when you say that the physical security side of things, I wonder, you know, we've talked about, you know, the idea uh, trying to break security down into, you know, into analogies or metaphors that people can understand. Um, you know, and information security obviously has has the physical element as well. So I wonder if, you know, kind of the way that you thought about things influenced your, you know, role as in a, as an information security consultant. You know, it, it's very possible because if you if you think of a, you know, if you think of a network, you know, if, if we're going to talk about technical security, you know, everything, you know, on the outer layer of it is protected by a perimeter. So if I kind of equate that to my time in the Marine Corps, you know, we were protecting certain assets from a physical standpoint and there was a perimeter, you know, that would be almost like your human fire, firewall, um, although we had rifles. Um, <laughs> so it was, you know, it's a little different, but conceptually, it's really kind of the same. You don't, you know, your first line of defense is that perimeter. So is it strong enough? Um, you know, do you have, you know, if you look at both sides of that, you know, from a physical standpoint, do you have enough people protecting your perimeter? You know, and this is what, you know, I'm referring to the military. Uh, in a technical environment, 
do you have the right a firewall in place? Is it configured accurately? Are you taking advantage of, you know, maybe the security advanced threat protections that may be available to you within within a uh, a firewall? Um, and a lot of people have these next generation firewalls in place, but they're only configured to be a regular firewall and not really taking advantage of all of the things that a firewall could really do for you, such as like intrusion detection, intrusion protection, things of that nature. A lot of people just don't know how to configure that um, in order for it to work with them. Uh, they just use it as a gateway to allow you know certain traffic to come in and out of their network, but haven't really kind of gone into that deeper level to make sure that things are set up so you can get the most out of the product that you have already existing in front of you. So, you know, rather than telling somebody, Hey, you need a new firewall, you know, one of, one of the simple things what would, could be is let's look at your current firewall. You know, let's see what kind of capabilities and does that fit what you're trying to protect? Yeah. Just to take a step back a little bit, you know, it, it seems like kind of what we're talking about is like people just don't know what they don't know. Right. And there's a bit of education that goes into into what you're doing in, in your consulting. So like, where do you start with a client, a brand new client? So, you know, it, it really depends on the client um, to start. But if I had, you know, a lot of times I'll have a client, you know, maybe a smaller, medium business, size business who really... I, I almost want to say they're they're kind of in no man's land from the standpoint that they're not necessarily a healthcare environment where they have to be controlled by the HIPAA security rule or you know things of that nature. I, I would categorize them as a business that you know probably has some level of sensitive data for their clients or things that their clients would like to protect. And if they don't, at the very least, they have internal HR information they need to protect. Um, but a lot of these companies don't know, you know, hey, what do I have to do versus what should I do versus should I care about this? And really, it's just looking at everything. So I might take a client like that and say, okay, you know, if they, if they, if they are residing in, in many of their clients' data is are residents of, say, New York State, well, we have the New York State Shield Act that we need to consider and make sure that they're, depending on the size of the business, there are reasonable controls in place to ensure that you've done your due diligence on your own environment and you've actually created a risk profile for your own business to say, what the heck is it we're really trying to protect here? What is important? Um, you know, we've got a reputational risk to protect. We have maybe certain data. And then we really try and start diving deeper into that process to say, okay, how are we protecting the data? And is it protected where it's sitting? Is it protected when it's in transit? Who has access to that data? And is that appropriate? Um, you can go really far down the road with a lot of these things um, and a lot of these types of controls when really what you need to do to start is you need to do a risk assessment. And whether you do that on a you know, a self-assessment basis, or you um, get into business with a with a consultant like myself that could help you walk through that process and what that looks like. Um, you really just need to figure out what is it that I'm trying to protect, and do I have the proper controls in place in order to protect it? Um, 
so, I mean, I have a lot of clients like that. They don't know what they don't know. And then I have a lot of clients who may, you know, fall victim to a lot of fear tactics because they may get emails, you know, saying, you know, do you know that this breach is going to cost, you know, if you're breached, it's going to cost you millions of dollars and so on and so forth. And it's really not the position I like to take with customers. I mean, I'll be very honest with people of what could happen if they ask, but I think it's all commensurate to the risk that any individual organization has and do they have the proper controls in place? And if they don't, do they at least have compensating controls in place that are going to help them achieve uh, a level of security and, and a security posture that is going to give them a comfort level with their clients that they've put as much you know, protections around their processes or their data as as they should have um have you know does that does it mean that everything is going to be prevented no um but you're also not putting yourself right out there as the biggest target out there um there there's going to be controls you put in place that eventually somebody may be able to exploit and get through and that's going to happen but have you positioned your organization to be able to react to that kind of an incident and be able to report it properly and take the proper steps in, you know, in order to eradicate any type of a, a breach that happens and, and all the potential fallout that can happen from that. Yeah. One of the things that you've said to me before is that compliance isn't scary, you know, and that secure information security shouldn't be scary. And you always approach things in a very calm manner, which I really appreciate because I tend to be on the other side where I'm just you know, <laughs> fran- frantic and paranoid. <laughs> yeah, no, um, but yeah, you, you have, you just have a very like no nonsense approach to it. And, you know, the fact that you said, you know, security or compliance isn't scary. I, you know, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, you know, I I think I learned early in my information security, you know, career that, you know, I I had a manager way back when that said, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, in an information security setting and you're dealing with people who are basically freaking out because something may have happened, it's very important that you're the coolest person in the room and you are able to look at everything from an objective standpoint and be very fact-based about it. And that's something that's really served me well. It's just kind of the way I work well. Um, maybe fair tactics work for other individuals. I, I'm not going to say. I just know it doesn't work for me. Um, I like to take a fact-based approach. I like to look at where your risk actually exists because you can put in a lot of controls that really – may not be necessary and can really kind of tie your tie your hands a little bit is from a from a business process standpoint. Um, so you do have to be cognizant of those things. And I like to take the approach of, you know, whatever size business I'm working with, if this were my business for for my money and my resources, here's what I would do. Um, you know, so that's just the approach that works for me. It's it's very easy to look at compliance and and various frameworks as a very confusing, scary realm of things. And I will agree, it is confusing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but, <laughs> yeah, it, it's confusing because there's so many frameworks out there. And there's so many ones that, you know, you'll hear some people say, well, NIST is the best. And 
Others will say, well, CIS benchmarks are the best, and some others don't have a choice. Like, they have to be HIPAA controls compliant. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, if it were up to me, which framework do I go with? Well, that really depends on you and your business and what your real need is. Um, you know, there's a lot of advantages to, you know, a framework like NIST, as vague as NIST can be. The reason is, is because it pivots and maps to so many different other frameworks. And that's where the advantage of, of NIST really comes into play, in my opinion, um, then you have CIS benchmarks, which, you know, I think you've mentioned in the past, it, it almost seems like CIS takes the the approach where this is just easier to understand. It's a, it's a little more clear, if you will. And, you know, my thing is, I don't necessarily, you know, if you're not held to any certain framework, I don't really care, you know, if you have your heart set on one or the other. I think we just need to pick one that's going to meet your needs. And if we had to pull other frameworks in to ensure that proper controls are being met for your processes and your data and your internal resources, then then that's what we do. Um, you know, and it, frameworks is funny. It's I've found a lot of success in just stepping through the process of you know creating like a matrix that's going to list all the controls that you need to adhere to. And I like to list out exactly how are you going to adhere to those? What are the process steps that are actually going to meet that particular control? And then to take it a step further, what are the control activities that have to be performed on a regular basis? And how often should we be testing that process as an organization? Is it yearly? Is it quarterly? Because maybe it's a more critical process. Um, I'll give you an example, access control. You know, access control can get really out of hand uh, if you if you're not watching how it's working and make, making sure you're doing self checks to ensure that you know access isn't granted in a in a way that shouldn't be. Or you know, if somebody leaves the business, um, let's say it's a disgruntled employee situation, and it's the kind of thing where you know, HR has to call their IT department and say, we need, we need this person's access cut at three o'clock. We'll get you the paperwork later. Just cut it at three. Well, a lot of times that paperwork sometimes won't get followed up on. So now you don't have, you know, proof that it was removed. In a lot of cases, it wasn't removed. So you might have some risk hanging out there in that way. These types of compliance checks on a certain frequency, like you know, doing control testing on a quarterly basis on something like access control could be looking at a random, you know, five employees that access changed in some way, whether it was added, removed, or changed. You can look at that to say, okay, do I have the request for for access? Um, is that filled out appropriately? Was it approved? You know, um, then sent to you know IT, whoever that is, whether it's a third party or it's an internal thing. Did they execute it? You know, did they document that this was granted? You know, that sort of thing. So I would expect any organization to do those simple checks throughout the year to ensure that because you did all this work to put your policies, your procedures, your control testing steps together, now test it. Make sure that what you've put in place is actually effective and it's actually working. So that way, if you ever run into a situation where maybe you had an event like 
you know, somebody clicked a phishing email and you have to maybe answer questions to a client or a regulator as to what processes did you have in place to help ensure that these things didn't happen. Well, you're, you then have this evidence. You have this list of artifacts that you're supposed to collect on a regular basis to ensure that the policies and the processes that you have in place to protect data are actually working. And if they're not working, why aren't they working? You know, is it just a matter we're not doing it or is it a matter that the policy may just not work for us? Um, and do we need to update the policy to change things? You know, um, that's a really long-winded answer, but <laughs> it, it, it's extremely important, you know, to to think about the life cycle of, you know, these controls and, and how you test and ensure that they're they're actually working for you. Yeah, that's a great example. Um, I want to make sure that we define some of the things that we talked about. So we talked about NIST, which is the National Institute of Standards and Technology, right? And we were talking about the cybersecurity framework. Um, And then we talked about CIS, which is a center for internet security. So they have a set of controls. Um, And then uh, when you talk about access, what are you talking about? Well, um, and and I'm talking about more electronic access to... Mm -hmm. To data, and it doesn't have to just be electronic um, access, um, but I'm talking about access to any information systems, whether that be to your, you know, your infrastructure environment, meaning you know you're logging into servers, or if you have an Office 365 account or your a Google Suite account that you know is a corporate account that you're logging into, um, access to that level. If you happen to work in an environment where physical security and access to files um, is necessary, that can sometimes be a little trickier because you may not have a electronic control that is going to prove out through a report that somebody access, you know, uh, physical information. That may be more of relying on... Um, you know, more manual security logs that are filled out. And I think of like companies like Iron Mountain, you know, do their employees, you know, do they, do they watch, you know, their own internal employees to see if anybody is going through and opening up boxes and reading information that's stored there, who has access to that, that sort of thing. I imagine they have some sort of log, you know, where if somebody internal there has to access some data that they're they're writing that down, um, but for the most part, a lot of the clients I'm dealing with, we're, we're dealing with electronic access to information. One of the things that you and I had kind of gone back and forth on was this idea. Actually, it was a post by uh, our first podcast guest, Gabriel Friedlander, and he said something along the lines of, "If you were to set someone free in your office or on your network for 24 hours, what?" could they do that is the most damaging to your business and then work backwards from there? Um, you know, and, and we talked about how that, that really resonated. Right. Um, and that looks, looks at both the, the physical and the, the digital security side of things. So wondering if you could, you know, kind of walk us through an example of that. The way I back into these things is let's simplify and identify exactly what we're protecting here. Um, Mm -hmm. so to your point, if, if I were in an office, you know, walking backward, what, what could I, you know, maybe discover or be able to access in that way? Well, that could, that could be anything from 
looking under somebody's keyboard to see if they leave their passwords there to opening up their desk drawers to potentially logging onto their systems. In, in other terms, a lot, a lot of times when we're, you know, in talking about these frameworks, I like to work backward into a framework as well, where I will start out with the results and the artifacts that I want to that I want to prove that I'm I'm working a process, then map, walk that back and map that into the control activities that it takes to produce those artifacts, and then walk that back and and write a procedure for exactly how I'm going to um, execute those control activities, and then walk that back to the policy that's going to state the here's what we need to do. So that way, every step of that process is mapped back to each section within the framework. Um, I don't know if that was the example you were looking for, but that's kind of, instead of writing a policy, then writing a procedure, then writing control steps and testing, I kind of start on the testing end of it and work back because Mm -hmm. that's the easiest way to ensure what you're creating, you're complying with. Um, and And it's a great way to map everything back to whichever framework you're, you're going with, whether it be NIST or CIS or HIPAA or, you know, whatnot. Yeah, that is really interesting. I think, I think where I was going with that is that sometimes the client doesn't even know, they don't even know how the value of the information that they have and and how that is valuable to the business. Um, So I guess, you know, walking the client through an exercise where they have to really determine what is the core thing that, you know, we have that is critical to running our business that if, if someone went into the network and, um, you know, we weren't able to get access to it, like it would just completely shut down our business. Um, cause I think sometimes clients don't even have that level of clarity or they haven't really thought that through. Yes. Sometimes, um, you know, for the most part, it's sometimes I'll get some clients that'll say, Oh, you know, we're secure. We don't, we don't keep anybody's social security card, you know, or number here. Mm-hmm. And they really equate to private information to being just a social security number. Right. Um, they don't think about the fact that there could be, you know, uh, business sensitive data such as, you know, mergers and acquisitions information. There could be other personally identifiable information outside of a social security number. Uh, maybe even if you're in a, you know, maybe you're not a healthcare organization, but if you happen to work with some healthcare organizations, maybe you have a name and a diagnosis of something, um, you know, things of that nature. You're right. People don't necessarily think of data in the, in the more broad sense. So we really do what one thing I have to do is I really need to learn my client's business and mm-hmm. kind of just keep probing, keep asking uncovering, uh, interviewing various people in the organization, because that's a great way to find out where risk may be that maybe the, maybe the executive level or, you know, the ownership of that small business didn't even realize that that was a risk. Um, and to give you an example, there is, you know, I did an assessment one time and the owner was sure they didn't have any sensitive information. Lo and behold, their office manager wrote down every credit card number um, in a in just a notebook, and they kept it 
in their desk, mm-hmm. which was unlocked, just in case they ever needed it in the future. Ownership and whoever was managing there had no clue that this was happening. And the worker had no clue that this was a problem, you know? Um, So yeah, it it can really, you know, I really think it's important to get in front of the people who are actually dealing with data because they, they usually will say, well, you know, we do keep it here and we keep it there too. Um, So I think, you just can't listen to one person at any organization. You really got to try and work with them to to talk through with as many people there to really get a sense of, are there any holes there we're not thinking of? Is there anywhere else that data would be saved that we may not be considering here? Things of that nature. Yeah, I love that example. And that makes me think of, of UX and, you know, kind of the the research methods I have to employ to kind of get get to the truth, right? <laughs> to right. kind of put the pieces together to get to the truth, uh, which reminds me of something that we kind of have joked about before in that, you know, security and UX are kind of the two things that no one really wants to bother with. Like they're just kind of these annoying things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so oh, yeah. co- combining UX and security is like, uh, you know, <laughs> it's like the most annoying thing ever for people, I would imagine. Well, if you um, think about super, it, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a double negative, right? So, <laughs> right. you know, so it really becomes a positive. <laughs> <laughs> I like that perspective. Right? <laughs> so, but I guess what I, so I have to do a lot of education around UX, like why is it valuable? You know, why should we be spending money on this? Uh, you know, expending resources on this? Like what's the return on investment? So I, I'm guessing that you get the same sort of pushback and how do you, uh, you know, how do you convince clients that this isn't sure you know, that this is, a, there is a return on investment. Yeah. And, you know, and I think first and foremost, I, you know, probably early in my career, I was kind of like, why don't people get this? This is the right thing to do. But I think I also learned how to empathize, you know, as a business owner, it security can be a pain. Let, let's, you know, we didn't, a lot of these companies didn't get into business so they could just secure data. Like I get right. it. Right. Yeah. However, you know, it's 2020. It's, this is what's happening. It's a major threat to, you know, anybody's business if you're ignoring it. Um, so I really like to try and flip the script and make security work for your business from the standpoint that, no, it's not, it's not ever going to be a positive line item on your, your balance sheet. However, putting these types of controls in place are actually going to make your business more efficient. And I'll explain that. Um, most, you know, most people would probably say that, you know, IT staff or whatnot at their businesses, you know, 75% of the time, they're probably fighting fires. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to answer to things that are just coming in as problems over and over. And it's really kind of the, ba- the Band-Aid mentality. It's um, whereas if you really take the time to build out your controls, you can have your your staff actually, you know, proactively going after security type items to keep your business safe rather than always trying to put that fire out. And you're never going to get ahead in that way. Um, I feel, you know, by being able to test out your processes uh, and ensure they're working is it's going to be it's going to make 
you know, your IT process or, or any other process, just a lot smoother, a lot more proactive, and you're, you're going after the threats before they're coming to you. And I think that's extremely important. I can't necessarily put a number to it, but, you know, any reasonable business person would agree that that is really the way that you want to do business. You always want to be as proactive as possible because you're going to be more effective and then your resources will be able to focus on the things that are going to move your business forward as opposed to always just dealing with issues that are coming in on a regular basis. Yeah, you've talked to me about, you know, making strategic decisions. And that's kind of what I'm hearing here is like, you know, being strategic about this. It's interesting that you talked about the IT department, you know, primarily putting out fires. So they're reactive instead of proactive, like you said. Um, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but that that makes perfect sense. The other thing that that has come up in our conversations is the the checkbox checks ooh, checkbox mentality, and that yep. you know if maybe you can uh, instead of me just stumbling over my words, maybe you, <laughs> you can you can describe what the checkbox mentality is. No problem. So you know, I get a lot of people who you know will say, "Hey, I, I've got a I have a potential client. They want me to uh, be compliant with." I don't know, NIST 800-53, what can you put, you know, can you send me some templates just so I can kind of get them off my back, you know, kind of thing. And I always, you know, kind of chuckle and say, well, let me take a step back and kind of explain this whole thing uh, before we do that. And and to me, that's the checkbox mentality. That's somebody who's just, I just want to appease somebody so I can get to my work. And I really do appreciate that thinking, but it's the wrong thinking. Um, it's not something that's going to serve you or your client at all. Uh, if you are the type of organization who's literally just going to pull some templates off of Google, off the internet, you're really a ticking time bomb at that point because you haven't invested the time in building that out to ensure that the security you know, items that you put in place uh, or say you're putting in place are actually in place and working. Um, a lot of times I've seen organizations put policies in place, but they're actually not following a thing. They're just trying to get business. Um, that's going to bite. You mean me. like they're going through the motions, but they're not they're, really. Yeah. They're going through yeah. the motions and, and that's going to bite you at some point. And I, and I honestly hope it doesn't, but you know, the reality is with the, the amount of threats and the amount of phishing emails and thing, things of that nature that are that are we're constantly faced with, it, it's going to get you at the end. And, it's, and it actually could get you in trouble because if you're stating to a potential client and putting, you know, and signing a contract with somebody on the basis that you have certain controls around their data and then something nefarious happens to that data, they're going to come calling and say, wait, you know, you said you had these, you know, controls in place. Why did they fail? You know, it's going to come to the surface very quickly. Well, we didn't have those controls in place anyway. You know, we're just kind of making it look like we do because we want to check this box. Um, if you really don't, you know, it, so that, that's the worst kind of box checker, if you will. The next box checker is like, look, we'll do whatever it is you tell us to. I don't want to do it, but we'll do it. You know, that's better than, you know, making it look like you're you're doing something without doing anything. Um, 
my advice to people is really do spend a little bit of time getting to know how this framework and and how these types of services can really help your business because I think you will find that it will make your life easier. You know, you're not fighting those those fires. You know, the chances that somebody, you know, you're lessening the chances that maybe some of your employees click on that phishing email because you took the time to have somebody train them on how to recognize a phishing email. That's one of a million examples of what could happen out there, but that's really, you know, what you're trying to do. Um, the checkbox mentality is, it's very tough. I understand it, but it's, it's simply not the right thing. And it, and it can get you, you know, uh, in a place, you know, where you don't want to be, where you, you know, if you thought you were going to not gain customers before you really won't. And, you know, customers talk to other customers. So, you know, a lot of this is falling on these organizations from a reputational risk standpoint. And whether or not it was your actual responsibility or not, there's a lot of assumptions about security and that, you know, customers and clients are expecting, you know, at the base level that you're protecting my data, you know? Um, and I think, I think I had told you, it's like if I walk into a gas station and purchase gas for my truck, I'm, you know, I don't sign any agreement with, you know, the, the workers down at the local gas station that they're going to protect my credit card data. I expect they're going to, you know, um, and it's kind of that way a lot. So you need to be, you know, organizations need to be very clear with their clients as to, you know, what is sensitive about you know, the data that we're passing back and forth to each other. So then they can, you know, protect it appropriately. Yeah, that's really interesting. I made a note here about the, you know, what are the customer's expectations and the customer experience and your points, you know, kind of tie into that. Um, I was thinking about when all the GDPR stuff came out, what was it, two oh, yeah. years ago, 2018? Uh, yeah, about that. Yep. Or 2019. I can't remember. Anyway. Um, you know, how you would get all of those emails, you know, for people wanting you to, you know, re-opt into their emails or, you know, talking about how they're GDPR compliant or whatever. Most of the emails you just ignore, right? right. It was just like a, a, just another GDPR email. Well, one I got from a software company and the email simply stated, you know what, we've always been GDPR compliant because that's part of our mission. And that's just something that we've always taken seriously. And that stood out to me so much because I was like, wow, they were doing this before you had to do it. They, you know, they've always taken my privacy and security seriously. That's amazing. You know, that really makes that company stand out. So I, yeah. I think, you know, and part of the reason that I'm doing this podcast is because I do think that things are changing and that customers are going to start expecting, you know, even more from organizations from both a security and a privacy perspective. I totally agree. And I'm even seeing clients, you know, I'm having really meaningful meetings, uh, more so the last couple of years than I did, in, you know, the, the beginning of my information security career. career. Um, I actually had a potential client call last week where the guy was like, hey, I don't have to do any of this stuff. Nobody's telling me to. He goes, I want to because it's the right thing to do. And I want to make sure that my client never has to worry about, 
you know, their data. They're not even asking me to do this, but I think it's just the right thing to do. And I think it'll help my guys and, you know, my team, you know, move forward in a professional way and things of that nature. And and you're right. That's music to my ears. That's like a client I really want to work with because it's like, okay, this person gets it. You know, they're, they're going to do this because it's the right thing to do. You know, and if you really just pare this down to that basic level, like, you know, what would your mom and dad tell you, you know, or, you know, <laughs> whoever's in charge of you with the kid, you know, what's the right or wrong thing to do? We know what the wrong, right or wrong thing thing to do. it, And if we really just kind of keep it at that basic level to say, you know, in some cases, we won't have a choice. We have to put a framework in. And if you do, great, follow it and, you know, work through it and whatnot. But at the end of the day, let's, let's make sure you're putting things in place because it just makes common sense to do it. Um, and, and I am seeing a trend of that more and more lately. And it's, it's really refreshing from my standpoint, because those are just some of the best clients to work with. I can work with anybody and, and actually bring them on to that type of thinking eventually. But the ones right out of the gate who just, Hey, I'm here. Cause I just want to do the right thing. Um, those are those are really welcome clients because it's just you know they get it. Yeah, definitely, and that makes me so happy that you had a client approach you wanting oh, yeah. to do the right thing. So I think that's a great way to kind of you know conclude our session here. Do you have any parting advice for people? Oh man, um, call me. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> kidding. I, you know, honestly, I I think my parting advice is. Try not to worry or fall victim to fear tactics in in looking at information security. Take a level-headed approach to it. Ask questions. You know, um, feel free to reach out to any information security professional. You'll find that most of us will will try and help you out or steer you in the right direction. Um, it's really important to just try and not flip out about something somebody's asking you about, and just take a very fact-based approach to it um, and and put your plan together, you know, and, and I think that's going to serve people very well in the future. Um, so I know that Innovative has the well-architected reviews and you have a security-focused well-architected review, right? It's a two-hour security consultation. Yeah, th- well, there's actually two things. So there's a, there's a, there's a well-architected review, uh, and that can be security focused or it can be cloud focused or, you know, if you have an on-prem environment, it can be focused on that. And it's really looking at a lot of different things within somebody's environment and trying to help shape a strategic plan of, of where you should go and, and how do you get there and and what kind of, you know, it kind of listed out so people know, you know, here's what I could get help with or here's what maybe I could do on my own Um you know, kind of gives you a direction from that standpoint. We can do a security focused one that really looks at what are the things you have in your current environment, what, again, whether it be on-prem or, or cloud, and, you know, are you getting the most out of the security products that you're 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 using um you know or you know is there a is there an opportunity to change you know or or reconfigure some things so you are using your security products in the right way and i'll i'll kind of refer back to the to the firewall you know do you have if there's usually a lot of capabilities on a given firewall you just don't have it configured properly so those are the types of things that 
we could look at. Um, and then we also will do um, two-hour on-demand consulting. Um, and that is for a company, if they just want to pick my brain or any one of the consultants or solution architects at, at Innovative, they can you know, use this solution ar- architect on-demand and have a two-hour session to just kind of pick our brain and talk through you know, planning or helping answer any questions they may have. Yeah, that's awesome. So they can find more information about that at InnovativeSoul.com, right? InnovativeSOL.com. That's correct. Yeah, everything's on the website. Um, You know, there's more information than you'd ever want uh, on there. Um, And people can read about all all the other services that Innovative can offer. And, you know, people from a security standpoint, if if they wanted to, they could reach out to me directly as well. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jim. I really enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. You're welcome, Heidi. It was a lot of fun.